this guy. I don't know if you can see him. I'm so close. I'm like, I never saw that before. I just love our church, you know, and what God is doing through you and, and in us. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, before I get into the message, I just want to mention we're coming up uh, on, on a special offering that we're going to do on October 30th. Um, really, it's between now and the end of the year, but October 30th is kind of the big date um, to think and pray about what you might want to give. And if you've been around Bridgewater and you've been a supporter of Bridgewater, um, this is something that probably you're excited about. Three things that this money's going to go to, one fifty thousand for a new campus. Now, where is our new campus going to be? We don't know. Yeah, so pray about that. I mean, we talked about Elk Lake at one point. Some people have thrown around, you know, the Kingsley area. Others, you know, deposit out in New York or up in Appalachian, New York. We really don't know, but we know that God wants us to multiply. God wants us to reach more people for Jesus Christ, to follow him and to love him and to, to receive his forgiveness. And so pray about that, but that's where some of it, 50,000 for more ministry interns. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of churches, there are not enough pastors to go around, right? And churches are closing not only because they don't have enough money to stay open, but because they can't find people to fill them. And one of our goals, and Pastor Josh has kind of spelled this out, is to be a ministry manufacturing plant, that, that we would raise up not only pastors so that we can get the best guys and keep them, but... <laughs> But also that, that we could send them away to bless and to work and, and to be in other places. In fact, we have a pastoral intern on staff right now who, who really feels God's call to go to another country at some point and serve God there. And, and that's just exciting. And so that's really to help us do that next year to just hire some more pastoral interns. Joel Kessler is one of those right now. This won't help Joel, okay? So we already got them, all right? But this is for people like Joel in the future. And then 400000 for a new building for Tunkhannock. We're still in negotiations about uh, one piece of property, and um, that hasn't been decided, but um, we're, we're definitely wanting to go ahead. If it's not that property, it's somewhere else. They just started last week, no, this Sunday. I think they just started three services because they can't fit everybody in just two. And so God is doing a lot of exciting things. Those two flowers this morning, both, both adults at Tunkhannock who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord also. And so that's, that's October 30th. So be praying about what God would want you to do for that. Those of you, if you're new here, this is just insider stuff. Um, but, but those of you who really believe in the mission and in, of our church and what God is doing here, um, be praying about what you're going to give. And I know I, know I am. So we're talking about vision. This is the last Sunday for this. It's going to be a little bit different. Um, up until now, we've been talking about our core values. Um, and uh, you can see them out in the lobby uh, online. You can see them at our, our main web page. Our core values are things like everyone has a next step spiritually. Or saved people serve people. And, and other things like that. Uh, but today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about... Um, what happens if you are following Jesus and you're doing everything you should be doing and, and you, you, you suffer for it and it's, and it's hard? Um, in fact, 9-11, I think, is an appropriate day to talk about this because those firefighters that ran into the Twin Towers and then were killed, did they die because they were doing the wrong thing or the right thing? The right thing. And we need to understand, there, there's a, 
a, a type of Christian, and some of them are actually Christians and others aren't Christians at all, but they say they are, and they preach something called a, a prosperity gospel. And, and it goes like this. If you give Jesus your life and maybe send me some money, <laughs> everything bad in your life will go away. Everything good will get better. That spout, you'll have the perfect spouse, that house you've always dreamed of, that perfect job. Everything will be great. You'll have great health. If you're sick, you'll get better. And, and all you have to do is believe and send me money, and, and, and it'll be yours. And, and, and here's, the th here's the truth. That, that's not what God's Word teaches in fact, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4 where they have to just take their Bible and they just have to like rip that out of their Bible because he's saying just the opposite. Sometimes you do everything right, like those firefighters on 9-11, and you suffer because you did what was right, not because you did what was wrong. And I think there's so many parallels. When we don't understand life, it's, it's often because we're looking at it the wrong way. And I think God has given us physical illustrations that help us understand spiritual truths. And one of them, I wore my coaching shirt here today because one of them is, is coaching. And, and when, when you coach, the player often has a different goal than the coach does. Okay, why do players go out for sports? Why do players go out for sports? Glory, that's true. I didn't think of that one. I thought of a more basic one. Fun, right? Most kids play sports because it's fun, and sometimes the glory. But, you know, that's why maybe someone goes out for, you know, soccer instead of the chess club because they say soccer's more fun, or maybe they go out for the chess club. Because for them, chess is more fun, or, or volleyball is, is more fun than cross-country, you know, or, or whatever it is. And so the, the player comes in thinking, I want a great season. A great season means fun. And, you know, winning is fun, right, and things like that. But, but their goal is fun. Do you know what the coaches, a good coach's goal is? A good coach's goal is not for it to be fun and easy. It's to make you better. And when I coach, there's two ways I want to make my players better. One, I want to make them a better person, but then I want to make them better at that sport. And sometimes when you do that, the, coach, the coach's goals are conflicting with the, the player's goals. The coach is like, run! And the player's like, ah, running's not fun right now, <laughs> right? You know, or, or, or whatever he's, and, and especially some sports are more complicated than others. Okay, ping pong, excuse me, table tennis, Pretty simple sport. There's like five rules, right, in ping pong. Other sports, like football, I think is one of the, the most complicated sports. In fact, the football team at Montrose, I think they have like eight coaches, you know, like because you have all these positions, then you got special teams, and then you got, you know, it's just, it's so complicated. And in complicated sports especially, sometimes the coach asks you to do something or tells you to do something and you don't know why. Or puts you in a position and you don't know why they've put you in that position. In fact, just yesterday I was coaching these 11 and 10 and 11 year olds and, and uh, I told this one girl, I'm like, you're going to play, you're going to go win on defense. And she says, but I don't play defense. I'm like, actually, half the game when the other team has the ball, you play defense even if you are on offense. But, but besides that, like, I'm going to put you in for defense, but, but that's not where I play. I'm like, 
if you want to play <laughs> today, you're going to play defense. So she went on defense, and I found out later it was because whenever I talked about defense in practice, she went, la, 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 la. doesn't have anything to do with me because I'm on offense. So she had no idea what she was doing, and, that, and she was afraid to look like she didn't know what she was doing. But, but a little bit of positive reinforcement, and yes, that's what you're supposed to be doing, and all right, now you do this. But, but she was put in a position, and she didn't understand why. A lot of times, we don't understand life. Life is the most complicated sport there is. And so often, we don't understand what's really going on. And our goal is for my life to be easy and happy and fun. And God says, no, my goal is that you will be great. Maybe you're good, and you're, I want you to be great. If I get a mediocre soccer player, I want them to be good by the end of the year. If I get a terrible soccer player, I'm like, good news. By the end of the year, you're going to be mediocre, <laughs> right? But you're, you're going to get better, right? And God wants you to be better, and so he might put you in a position, and you might be like, why? Why has God put me in this position? Why did he take that that family member, that person that I loved away from me? Why did he give me this disease? Why, why, did, why am this relationship going terrible? Why am I financially just struggling so much? We don't understand because this is what we think God's goal is for our lives. Well, if God loved me, he'd make my life easy. And the truth is, no, if he loved you, he'd make you better. And so that, that's what we're going to talk about today, and, and Peter talks about it in this passage. When you do everything right and things go wrong, how do we respond and, and what do we learn? So he starts off like this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, so as Christians, fiery ordeal, if I said, okay, who gets the fiery ordeal, Christians or non-Christians? You'd be like, oh, that'd be the non-believers. They get the fiery ordeal. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, dear friends, he's talking to believers here, people that are committed to following Jesus Christ. When I say believer, it means you've made a decision to do two things. One, ask God to forgive you and pay for your sins. And number two, made him your leader and, and, and given him your life. And so that's, that's who he's talking to here. And he's saying, you're going through a fiery ordeal. They were being beaten up. They were being imprisoned. They were losing their jobs. They were suffering in many different ways. And he says, this should not be a surprise. In fact, Christian life in America is the exception rather than the rule. Because I have never been imprisoned for my faith. I have never been beat up. Throughout much of human history, that has not been the case. In fact, I just went with uh, Becky uh, to Wales, and on our way like back toward the airport, we stopped at Oxford. I'm walking down the street. Nobody's taking notice of it. I look at a little placard on the side, and it said, these three guys were burned at the stake for their Christian faith uh, 450 years ago here. I'm like, whoa. Like Everybody's just walking around, and this is centuries past, a place where people, now two of them were burned, one of them was Thomas Crane, they were burned for really picking the wrong horse politically, but one of the guys that was burned alive was like 94 years old, and it was because of what he believed. 
It wasn't because he picked, you know, Jane over Mary, Queen of Scots. It wasn't, you know, wasn't anything political. It's because he, he taught radical things like we should have the Bible in English, not just Latin. Oh. Taught things like, you know what, you're not saved by eating a cracker and drinking juice. That doesn't save you at all. It's by asking Jesus to be your forgiver and leader. That's what saves you. It's, it's through Christ's death alone. And, and he burned at the stake. This, this is what is going on. I just read a news story that uh, a couple, a woman got 10 years, her husband got five years because they, they created a Bible app and they live in China. And China says you cannot do anything with the Bible or anything spiritual online unless you get our permission. And guess what? No, you don't have permission. And so she just went to jail for 10 years. And, and not jail in the United States is bad, but it's better than China. And so he's saying, don't be surprised at this. Here, here's a way of summarizing what he's saying. Following God doesn't make you immune to difficulty. Um, it doesn't make you immune at all. In fact, sometimes it actually opens that door more um, I do this a little bit more than I used to, but when people get baptized at Bridgewater now, I often actually mention this to them. I say, you know, you're getting baptized. You're getting up in front of, and next, next week we're going to have a baptism. And, and these individuals are going to get up into, in front of all you scary people, and they're publicly going to basically be saying, I am following Jesus Christ. And what makes us think that when you run into the battle and toward the front lines, that it will be easier. I mean, if we're following Jesus, how is Jesus' life? Was it easy? He was hungry. He, he, he went through many difficult things. He was obviously beaten and crucified. And that's what happened to his followers. Peter, who's writing this, is saying the same thing. In fact, following God doesn't make you immune to difficulty. One of Peter is uniquely able to comfort and help these believers who are going through persecution because he went through it himself. He'd been beaten. He'd been jailed. And so to hear Peter say this would be different than to hear me say this. right? So if I were to say to these believers, you know what? Don't, don't be you know, upset. when you Don't be surprised when you're persecuted. Man, there, there is a glory coming, and you can rejoice in this suffering because theoretically, I know... You know, it's one thing to talk in theory. It's another thing to say, I've been there. In fact, there's a, a, a woman in our church, and I don't see her here this morning. She'll probably come to the second service, but she is in the midst, probably more than one, but this one is the one I'm thinking of, in the midst of terrible depression. And she's been to the doctor, but you know what? We're more than just physical creatures, and many times the doctors are just spitballing. They're just doing their best with what they have, but they're not omniscient. Although some of them might think they are. Most of them understand they're not. And, and so she just, to get out of bed in the morning is so incredibly hard. You know what I, I said to her? I said, there is a woman in your small group who knows exactly what you're going through. I know she has struggled just like that because honestly, I never have. I've never been so depressed that I struggled to get out of bed in the morning or, or struggled to function. I, praise God. I don't know. It's genetics. I, I don't know. But, but I haven't faced that myself. I could talk to her about theories. You know, even though you don't feel like it, I know God is there. 
I don't know what you're, it's like. I don't, but, but this other woman in her small group could tell her, I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through. And I'm telling you, like, you're, it's, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. I'm going to help you get through this. And that's what Peter is doing here. And we need to realize that, that the difficulties God sends in our life, it might be to make us better, but it might also be to make somebody else better. You know, when I moved this girl to defense, it meant I could move a defensive player to offense, and maybe it, it wasn't, but it could have been more about that other player than her, right? And so we just got to trust God in all of this as, as we work through it. Difficulty does not equal disapproval. If you believe you're following God, and as far as you know, you're obeying Him to the best of your ability, I mean, you're not perfect, but you're really on the right track, and you're going through a difficult time, don't think God's punishing you. Right? Or, that, or that, you know, this means, you know, uh, you know, you deserve it somehow. And frustration doesn't mean failure. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite. If I were to, I have not, I, I ran like once or twice in the spring. Okay, so I have not run. I'm over 50 years old. I'm really out of shape. If I were to go running to two miles today, and then I were to go running two miles Monday, how would I feel? I would feel awful, right? I would feel awful today. Tomorrow, if I went out and ran again, would I be faster or slower second day? Slower. And would I feel better or worse than the first day? I would feel worse. In fact, third day, now that I'm getting older, I don't bounce back like I used to. Third day, I would be even slower than the second day. And I would feel even worse. Fourth day, I might start to get a little better, right? So, so sometimes difficulty is a sign of success and not failure because because exercise is you know God teaches us so many things in the physical world to help us in the spiritual world Paul, Peter keeps going and he says but rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed and so there's two times of rejoicing here he says one you need to rejoice mentally in the suffering and, and again, this is not, I, I think this is not an emotional thing. Like, woohoo, my body is in incredible pain. Yes. You know, or, oh, this is great. My marriage is in shambles. Like, things are going terrible. No, I, I don't think he's expecting us emotionally to rejoice, but there is something where, where mentally we, we can know. Even though my life stinks, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm following Jesus. I'm participating in his sufferings. I'm suffering because I'm doing the right thing. And, and there is a mental rejoicing that we can do with that. And then especially when it's over, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Has Jesus's glory been revealed? No. When will Jesus's glory be revealed? Well, that's after he returns and, and maybe when we go to heaven and we see him, then his glory will be revealed to us. And so, so the overjoy is later, not now. Again, like that exercise, like right now you may be in pain. And my second or third day running, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I get to go running again and hurt. This is why I don't run, because <laughs> it hurts, right? And so you don't, but, but mentally you can say, you know what, this is I'm, I'm almost through the worst part. There is a turning point. I'm getting really happy because this is better, that mentally, this is better for me. 
Um, so here's my, my, our, our way of summarizing this. Suffering might be a step up, not a step back. Right? Sometimes we only think of suffering in terms of our goal, which is an easy life, and we think it's a step back. But, but God's thinking of suffering a, a, as a step up because he's making you better. Or maybe he's using you to make somebody else better. Um, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So he's making clear again, sometimes we suffer because we deserve it. We did something and we get the consequences of it. I, I am convinced the longer I live that God rarely has to punish anyone. We punish ourselves, right? If I, if I go look at porn and get addicted to that stuff and watch it all the time, I will suffer for that and God doesn't have to do anything about it. And just the way life works, my wife will find out, others will find out, it, it, you know, it, 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 will, it will be unsatisfying. I, I will get depressed because I know I'm a fake or whatever it is. And we, when we do wrong, it has its own consequences. God doesn't even have to be. In fact, God's the other way, I think. God's like standing in front of suffering with his arms straight out. He's like, don't go there. And we like try to dodge him and slide between his legs and like get past him, right, to, to that, that thing that we desire and, and it brings its own suffering. And so he's saying, if you suffer, don't, don't suffer for this. And, and here's the thing. If you're suffering for doing what's right, even, there is a temptation to go to sin. Sin is a coping mechanism for almost everybody, maybe everybody. Right? In, in, in my life, like there's always a sin that when things are going bad, it makes you feel better short term. And sometimes it is so incredibly short, right? And, and we all know about drugs and pot and alcohol. People use that as a coping mechanism. They're stressed. They're, they're, there's a problem. And, and then they go there and they avoid it. But, but it's true about a plate full of brownies with fudge on top. And, and we go there because we think it'll, you know, oh, that'll make me. And oh, that first bite, yes. And then five minutes later, we feel worse about ourselves. And sex can be the same way, where sin, any sin that, that, that we use as a coping mechanism, he said, you're going to suffer for that because you're not, you think it'll, it'll, and in the short term it might make you feel, but it's so short, and then you're, you've dug a deeper hole, and you're even more in bondage, and you have even more negative, and, and so he's saying, don't suffer for that. There is no reward in that kind of suffering. And, and he says it should not be as a murderer or a thief. Murder is really bad. Thief, ah, pretty bad. Or as a meddler. Like, well, what's a meddler? I, I, a meddler is someone who oversees what belongs to another. That's a good definition. Like, they are just in people's business, not to help, just because they're curious or... Or maybe they think they're helping, but they're just, you know, just throwing a grenade in and, you know, and walking away. And, and so meddler isn't, it's not against the law to meddle, right? You're not going to go to jail or anything like that, you know. But, but he's saying, you know, no matter, you know, we have this spectrum of sin. And we tend to rationalize, um, my sin is not that bad. Yours is bad, right? 
And he's saying, no, 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 all sin will bring suffering. And I'm not talking about that. We don't want to suffer for that reason. Um, struggling isn't a license to sin. All right, don't, don't, don't think, and we, we are so good at, at, you know, I deserve, you know what? I've had such a bad day. I've had a bad month. You know what? I'm just going to, I deserve this one little thing. And that, that is not, that is not what God wants for us. God is standing in front of that thing saying, no, this is not what, what we should suffer for. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. And um, suffering as a Christian um, may produce opportunities for the gospel. Right, because if we're not ashamed in that suffering as a Christian, we we can praise God that we bear His name. Isn't it amazing that God would give us His name? In fact, I've thought about actually. I wouldn't actually do this because people would misunderstand it. But changing my name to Bob Kedlisic Jesus. What's your last name? Jesus. That's pretty arrogant. <laughs> Take the name of Jesus? No, I'm not. I wouldn't take the name. He's given me his name. He, he's adopted us. If you have asked him to be your forgiver and your leader, it means that you, you know, he's basically said, I want to adopt you. It's one of my kids. And, and I'm going to give you an inheritance. And you're going to come live with me in heaven forever. And I'm not going to forsake you or leave you. And I, I want to be your father. And I want to give you my name. The God who created the stars and the mountains and everything that's in the ocean and every single animal. And the God who created all that. He wants you to have his name. And we bear that name. And what, what an awesome privilege that is. And... Um, when we suffer, we need to not be ashamed. And he's talking specifically about suffering for being a Christian, but I know we, we, we come into some of that today in America. Some of you have suffered for being a Christian, but even in, even in general, suffering in general, even not for, for not being a Christian, there's a man in the church, and um, he's since passed away, but he had stage four cancer. And I've mentioned him before, but I will never forget how I challenged him. I said, there's a book by the title, Don't Waste Your Cancer. And he latched onto that and he said, I will not waste my cancer. He went to a next door neighbor who had terrible physical problems and said, I want to talk to you about the Lord. And you know what? His neighbor listened because he had stage four cancer. And, and when, when God entrusts you with suffering, he elevates you. And people, you know, it's like Job. God says about Job to Satan, he says, have you seen my servant Job? How he obeys me and he loves me and he follows me and what a great guy Job is. And Satan's like, yeah, that's because his life is good. But you take away that stuff and he will curse you to your face. And God says, okay. And the whole story of Job is really a story about determinism. 
Determinism is a secular belief system today that's, I shouldn't use these big words. Basically, it's nature or nurture, right? We do everything because it's either in our genes or because that's what we've been conditioned to do. And the whole story of Job, I think one of the big things that God is proving there and showing us for all time is that, no, you have a choice. Dogs don't have choice. That's why people love dogs. Because if you love a dog and you feed a dog and you're nice to a dog, what will that dog be to you? It will love you back every time, 100% of the time, nature and nurture. Now, if it gets a brain tumor, again, that's a nature thing. And then it might not go, go so well. But every time, it has no choice. It does what it's programmed to do. You love a human being. You feed a human being. You're nice to a human being. What does that human being do? We have no idea. <laughs> Maybe they'll love you back. Maybe they won't. In fact, you could be mean. And maybe that person will love you. Why? Because people have a choice. That's how we're made in the image of God. I think that is the clearest insight we have to seeing someone's soul is their choice. And here he's saying, you know what? When we suffer as a Christian, people think uh, you're a Christian just because uh, that, that, that helps you financially. You're a Christian because that's what you've always been taught. You're a Christian because it helps you, you know, deal with death and loss and whatever. It's a crutch or whatever. But then when things go bad and you have cancer or you go through divorce or, or your child commits suicide. And then people are like, why are you a Christian? And they're ready to listen. And you say, because it's true. Because it's real. And it's so much more powerful. I want to encourage you, um, next Sunday, we're going to have a couple people sharing their story about how God has changed their life, and they did not have easy lives. And they're going to speak out of their suffering. And I want to encourage you, if you have any friends, <laughs> invite them. If you have people that are not your enemy, <laughs> invite them. Okay, to come back next week. This, this is why we get together, because we need to not be ashamed of Jesus Christ and, and bear his name with pride. And I know sometimes it's hard for us. How do I bring Jesus up? How do I begin spiritual conversations? What are good questions I can ask that maybe? And, and that, that's important stuff. But here's an easy way. All of you have on your seat like a little stack of three cars to invite people. Just take those and invite people. Invite people to come next week and say, man, I want you to hear something that has changed my life. I want you to hear some of the most important truths that, that and you're like, oh yeah, I know all about. No, you don't. I'm telling you, you, you th this is going to be different. And, and even if you think you know everything, just out of a favor to me, come with me. Because Jesus is the answer to almost every problem on earth. And we have that answer. In fact, maybe, maybe we don't all have that answer. What I want to do as I close is I want to close in a prayer to ask Jesus to be our forgiver and to also be our leader. Because that is the first step we need to take. That's what it means to be a Christian is to come to a place in your life. Nobody's born a Christian. You have to come and decide to ask Jesus to forgive you that's a humility thing. I'm going to make, have him pay for what I should pay for. And then also ask him to be our leader. 
And, and if, if people would do that, if people would follow Jesus, there wouldn't be war. There wouldn't be crime. There wouldn't be, you know, so many of the problems in the world w- would not be there because he's the answer. And we need to share that with others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you. Oh, that, um, that Jesus suffered. And Lord, he didn't suffer for no purpose. He didn't suffer for no reason. God, I thank you that if we follow you, you have a purpose for every single second of suffering in our lives. And God, I just ask for those here who haven't given their lives to you yet, that they would pray with me right now, that they would make this decision. Because God, I, I admit that I am a sinner and I've done things wrong that I can't fix and I, 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 can't, I can't pay for outside of an eternity in hell. And so I ask that Jesus would pay for my sins on the cross that he, he would take my punishment so that I don't have to. And God, out of gratitude for that, I want to give you my life. I want to follow you. I want you to lead me to be my Lord and my master from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.